Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Good day, everyone. Tuesday, February 25th, 2020 is upon us, and this is Locked on ACC. I'm Brian Wilmer. I'm your host. I am from FB Schedules and College Hoops Digest. Got the chance last night to cover a non-ACC basketball game that took 35 days to decide a winner. If you're curious about what that's all about, you can find it on my Twitter timeline along with a number of other things. I'm at Sports Matters on Twitter. If you want to see ACC stuff and non-ACC stuff, I would love to have you follow along there. You can also follow the program at LockedOnACC on Twitter. Send us an email, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. We love your feedback. We love your interaction. It's part of the program. There's a lot of talk today about Louisville, Florida State, and for obvious reasons. One, because it was the lone ACC game on the slate last night. It was also a game, essentially, to decide the ACC champion. Now, yes, before anybody says anything to me, I know Duke is still in that conversation and will remain in that conversation. Last night's loser, not in the best of shape, and Chris Mack actually said that in his postgame comments last night. He said that they no longer control their own destiny, essentially. He's correct. Louisville had control of that game for a decent majority of it. They led 40-32 to at the half and started looking around, started hearing murmurs about, oh, well, maybe this is Florida State's time that Louisville exposes them. Not really. Something that we have talked about on this show a number of times and something that I've talked about off the show as well, Florida State's depth, a big, big time advantage for them. Both coaches mentioned it. You'll hear from them in just a bit. But Louisville led, as I mentioned, by eight at the half. They led by eight with 13-34 remaining, two free throws from Ryan McMahon. And then all of a sudden, here come the Seminoles. The Seminoles went on a 15-0 run. 15-0. Between the 13-34 mark and the 8-37 mark, the only points at all that Louisville had between the 13-34 mark of the game and the 8-23 mark of the game were five Ryan McMahon free throws. So if you look at it, essentially, it was Florida State versus Ryan McMahon for a good five minutes of that game. It took between 14-44 and 5-39 for Louisville to get a field goal. Florida State's defense is overwhelming at times, and you saw that looking at last night's game. Let's take a step back and look at the actual statistical information from last night. The first thing that we need to mention before we go any further is, of course, Malik Williams' ankle injury. He played just two minutes last night, and Chris Mack was fairly noncommittal on his status and his future in the presser, and one might imagine he would be because you don't ever really get a whole lot of information from coaches on fresh injuries in pressers. I'll tell you from experience, there's a reason you ask those questions because there might be a possibility that they give you some kind of information and you can at least inform your readers. So if you hear a beat writer ask that question or something like that, they're they're really trying to ask it with the best of intent. I promise they're trying to inform their readers. But you also, if you're somebody uh, like myself, you ask those questions out of concern for the kid. Because in covering these teams, you really get to know these kids. You get to know what they're about. You get to know what they mean to the program. And you're really genuinely concerned about the kid. 
A lot of people don't want to believe that because of all the media narratives and everything else that are out there. But trust me when I tell you, there are a number of people who ask those questions because they're genuinely concerned for the health of a young man or a young woman, depending on the sport. No update really on Malik Williams other than that they will continue to investigate. He does have a rolled ankle. All the best to him. Three cards in double figures last night. Mentioned McMahon. He led Louisville with 14. Three of five from the field, all from three. Five of five from the line, those five free throws we discussed a minute ago. He had 14 in 26 minutes. Did McMahon off the bench. David Johnson, 13 for Louisville. Six of 11 from the field. One of two from the line. He also snagged four boards. Then Jordan Wara, 11 points, eight boards in 38 minutes. But Wara, four of 14 from the floor. One of six from three for Louisville. Louisville shot 42.4%, 25 of 59, but they were just five of their last 20. Not so good. Also the second half, nine of 28 for the cards, 32.1%. Louisville, five of 21 from beyond the arc, 23.8%. One of 12 in the second half, just over 8%. Louisville was, however, 12 of 14 from the line, they didn't get to the line as effectively as they wanted either, and Matt commented on that as well in the postgame stuff. Florida State, meanwhile, placed five scorers in double figures. Trent Forrest led Florida State. He had 16. He was six of nine from the field, snagged five boards. Joining him, MJ Walker, Devin Vassell. They both had 12. Both on pretty good shooting nights, too. Walker, four of eight. Vassell, five of eight. They didn't play a whole lot of minutes relatively when you consider that you know, a lot of teams have guys that play 34, 37, 40 minutes a game. Walker and Vassell just 28 and 25, respectively. Raekwon Gray and Patrick Williams had 11 apiece. Gray snagged six boards. Williams, only four. But you have to consider only in context of the effort of what Williams has been doing lately. I'm a big fan of that kid. I mentioned that on yesterday's program. Florida State... Shot 51%. They were 28 of 55, 15 of 27 in the second half. You wonder why they came back from eight down, scored 50 points in the second half, outscoring the Cardinals 50 to 27, and had that 15-0 run. That played a pretty significant part in it. Florida State only hoisted six three-pointers in the second half, despite hitting two of those. The main number, 18 of 22 from the line in the second half for the Seminoles. The hustle stats not terribly significant in terms of differences. 36-29 rebounding advantage for Florida State. Eh. 9-8 offensive rebounds for the Seminoles. 27-24 off the bench for FSU. 34-30 in the paint. 9-3 in transition. You look at that, there's not really a significant difference except FSU forced 7 steals. Louisville compelled Florida State into just 1. That Florida State defense, it just... I said this last night in the parking lot. No, I wasn't driving, lest anyone say anything to me about it. I was walking. I stopped to make this point, though. Florida State comes at you in waves. This team, and again, we'll hear more about this from each coach in the next segment, but Florida State is just so deep and so athletic and so talented, and they just keep coming at you and coming at you. You hear this schlock all the time. I've heard this from 15 coaches this year about a team being hard to guard. It's one of those coaching standards. You hear they're hard to guard. And when you're a media member, you kind of 
hear it once, you hear it 600 times, you get used to thinking, well, everybody's hard to guard. Florida State really is. They create a lot of matchup problems. They hit the boards. They're physical. They're aggressive. And they're smart. That's the main thing. They're smart. They're so well coached. Florida State, get this, led for just 9.35 last night. Louisville led for 28-13 of that game and lost by 15 points. It's not very common that you look at a team's numbers and realize that they led for greater than 28 minutes in a game and lose by 15. That just goes to show you Florida State, that quick strike team that they have. They can make that happen. Mentioned Louisville, five of its last 20. They were O of their last four and one of their last seven. Tough night at the office for Louisville. They'll be fine. The one thing that concerns me, though, is how long are they without Malik Williams? That's that's a tough road to hoe if you're a Louisville fan and you're thinking to yourself, well, we've got to go possibly run the gauntlet in the ACC tournament and do it without Malik Williams. That's not a very fun uh, concept to have to ponder. But that could be the destiny for Louisville. Let's go ahead and take the first break of the program. We'll come back. We'll hear from both coaches about last night and about Florida State's depth. You're listening to Locked on ACC. Welcome back to Locked on ACC for February 25th, 2020. I'm Brian Wilmer. I'm your host. Glad you're here. We talked about the Louisville-Florida State game from last night in a little more detail in the first segment. Wanted to get to some thoughts from both coaches from last night's game, and they kind of centered around the same thing. They centered around Florida State, their depth, how intelligent they are, how well-coached they are. Let's hear first from Louisville's Chris Mack about last night's game and his thoughts on FSU's roster. Um, they're, they're, they turned up the pressure, you know, they turned up their intensity level. Uh, I thought we missed some layups around the rim that we got in the first half. Um, I think we missed some open threes, you know, from guys that I want shooting threes and had those go, go, you know, gone in, uh, you know, you probably wouldn't be talking about offensive struggles. You know, it's not as if we had, you know, 19, 20 turnovers, which can happen to a lot of teams. You know, I'll take Jordan Wara open threes. You know, we ran some stagger actions and, and got open threes for Ryan. They didn't go in, and we got to figure out a way maybe come up with more offensive rebounds. But they're big, they're athletic, they have a plan, they switch. And uh, you got to try to get in the lane like we did in the first half, spray out, make shots, and get to the foul line, which, you know, we couldn't get to the foul line, couldn't get a whistle, um, you know, by, by initiating the contact. So um, is what it is. Coach, in this league, when you're playing against a team as deep as they were, and like you said, with so much when they come out the second half like that, when you're at an opposing barn, just how, how hard is it to come back from something like that? Um, it's hard because they make it hard. You know, there's no let up in their team. Um, again, we, we knew that. Uh, but, you know, the fact that he can, you know, just continue to bring, you know, more guys in that are going to play just as hard. Uh, you know, we, we tried in the, in the first three or four minutes, I called a timeout because I just sensed that uh, they were trying to turn up their pressure. We were getting driven way, way, way too much, and um, it didn't matter. You know, sometimes you, you talk about it, but you still have to go out and execute it, and uh, they did a better job than we did. 
Comments there from Louisville's Chris Mack. And a couple of things to add to what he said. First of all, the numbers from last night bear him out in terms of the layups comment that he made about missing layups around the rim. They were 10 of 22 on layups were the Cardinals. That number, somewhat subjective, but even still, it does paint the picture. And we can argue the validity of that number all day long. I'm, I'm fine with having that conversation, but we're about providing context here. And when you consider 10 for 22, you can argue one or two here or there, but still, it shows you, if that's accurate, you're converting 46% of the time around the basket. If you've got point-blank looks, you've got to make them, especially against a team like that. And those point-blank looks are the difference between maybe a three, four, five-point victory and a 15-point loss. Little things. The little things, as coaches will often tell you, the little things are the big things. That's a little thing that proved to be a big thing. He also mentioned Florida State's relentless nature. And they are relentless as a team. They just, like I said before, they keep coming at you. They are coached that way. They are bred that way. That's just who they are. And anybody who faces them in the ACC tournament, in the NCAA tournament, is going to have to contend with that. There are not a lot of schools in America that have that luxury. Granted, you know, there is a Duke or teams like that, but there are not a lot of teams that have that luxury where they can just keep coming at you and countering matchups and, you know, just kind of turning the tables on a team like that. There was a lot of discussion today about whether or not Florida State was the number one seed. I don't think right now that's really a discussion we need to be having because realistically, okay, let's let's press pause on the regular season right here. Florida State is pretty much assured a top three seed somewhere. And by three, I mean three lines, not three teams. But we have some pretty decent precedent of saying that the ACC champion ends up being a number one seed somewhere. Especially if they win the ACC tournament after having a great regular season. I don't think we really need to worry about that so much right now because Florida State takes care of business They'll be a number one seed somewhere. I don't know if they necessarily want that based on you know prior experiences with some teams that are not normally number one seeds. I don't know if they want that. Let's just call it as it is. Let's be honest. If they win the ACC tournament and or the regular season, they'll be a one seed. Don't worry about it. The other thing I wanted to mention is that Chris talked about how much they switch. And I've been told by coaches that defensive switches don't bother you as much if you're not a pick-and-roll team. I don't know that I buy that either. Because if you are constantly having to adjust to matchups and adjust to different defenders and different modes of defense, it's tough to put that in a scout. You can plan for systems, you can plan for players, but when you have to constantly plan for different matchups on the fly, you have to you know, think about getting paint touches about sprays, those kinds of things. It's really tough to do. So sure, switching has a lot more impact on the pick and roll and on cutters and et cetera, et cetera. But switching does affect all teams, I would argue. But that's another argument for another time. Tell you what, let's take the final break of the program. We'll come back. We'll hear from Leonard Hamilton. We'll talk about some baseball and some basketball. Don't you go anywhere. This is Locked On ACC. I can see you. Get back here. Where are you? Well, hey. Welcome back to Locked on ACC. 
Final segment of the program. Still much to get to, and we shall do so. Heard from Chris Mack in that last segment talking about Florida State and about their relentless nature on defense and about their depth. Now let's hear from Leonard Hamilton on pretty much the same subjects. Well, how much do you attribute to your team's defense being able to come from behind, put on the pressure in the second half, tie the game, take the lead, and eventually force the turnovers that you talked about? Well, I, I thought that um, you just you just said well, a I mouthful. Didn't say it. <laughs> but no, I, I do think that we have been winning games all year with with the quality of our depth and our, our ability to play good defense for long periods of time. And uh, the, the interesting thing is Devin played his heart out, and he said he asked for a, a break. And, and I thought that uh, Polite and Evans came in and just gave us a, a, a tremendous lift, and we can continue to keep doing that. The, the, the good thing about this team, we still have a lot of holes in our game. We still have a lot of room for improvement. We have a, a lot of new guys that still are, are growing within our system. And I like to see. I hope that we can continue to keep winning. Hopefully, we'll start peaking somewhere here pretty soon. Coach, you had five players scoring double digits for the game, with Trent leading away with sixteen points. Can you can you again address the depth that your team has? Well, there's no doubt that we win games by committee, uh, and uh, it, it's interesting that our players embrace that. You know, it's people keep asking questions: How do we keep everybody happy playing so many guys? These guys are asking to come out of the game. They're giving tremendous effort. We feel that that's who we are. That's a style that works well for, well for us. And when we have different guys stepping up uh, every night. And uh, the night Trent scored 16 points and didn't realize it. But I thought there were moments in the, in, 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 in the game that you could see that each player st- took it upon himself to make a major contribution. Uh, Gray's drive, Evans' drive, um, the confidence that um, that Devin showed by just taking the game into his hands, uh, Dominique coming off the bench, throwing a big hook that we had to have a jump hook in the lane. I can go on and on. These guys believe in each other. Uh, they like each other, and the, the team chemistry I think has a lot to do with why we're having some measure of success. It's really scary to think when you're coaching a team like that, and you're Leonard Hamilton, and you actually say to yourself out loud. Maybe we can peak. To think that as good as they've been, they've not peaked. They're not even close to peaking. That's scary. If you're ahead in the ACC tournament, if you're ahead in the NCAA tournament, that's scary. He also mentioned the key to why this depth is so successful and why it's such a big factor. Because guys are about everybody else on the team. They are about the team. And they don't really care how many minutes they get. They go out there and bust it for these four-minute wars, as you hear coaches say all the time, especially if you are a Skip Prosser devotee, these four-minute segments. And they know that they can go out there and give maximum effort because they've got a teammate who can come in and ably spell them once they need a a break. That's (laughs) If you're a team and that's something that you have to bring to the table, it's got to be a big confidence boost to that team, and it clearly has been. I know, I know this sounds like a FSU fanboy podcast today, and trust me, it's not. But you have to look at that team and realize how good they are, how deep they are, how smart they are, and how well-coached they are. On to tonight's action. Three games around the ACC tonight. I want to skip over one of them because I want to come back for a reason. But 7 o'clock, 
Duke at Wake Forest. Duke minus 11 on the ACC network. That's a tough draw for uh, for Wake. NC State at Carolina, 9 o'clock on ESPN. Carolina, a two-point favorite. When I saw this yesterday, I made some kind of snarky remark about how it was good that they had already released the football lines for this fall. 10-17 and 17, North Carolina in DFL, a two-point favorite over State at home. Wow. And then Clemson, Georgia Tech, 9 o'clock on the ACC Network. Georgia Tech minus 2.5. And, and I want to take a second to recognize the wonderful Tim Beret, the SID Emeritus at Clemson. And I'll tell you, if you do what I do, if you're a fan, whatever it is you may be, if you like the information you get about your team and from your team, thank their SID, especially now in the spring season when you have people that are spread out all over the place, and this is much more noticeable at the lower levels than at the ACC level. But when you have people who are spread out across multiple sports, multiple venues, and have so much asked of them, the jobs that they do and how gracious they are with everything going on, thank them. Trust me. Two notes from the legendary Tim Beret, the the best of all time, I would argue. He says these two things. Clemson enters tonight's game at Georgia Tech having won three straight league games by 15 points or more. It's the first time since February 12th through 22nd, 1975, the Tigers have done that. He also points out that the dates of those wins in 1975 were February 12th, 15th, and 22nd, the same as this current run. He also points out that during Clemson's winning streak, the Tigers have shot 54.3% from the field, 50 on three-point shots, and 74.5% from the line. In their three-game prior losing streak, they were shooting 32.9 from the field, 22.9 from three, and 72.7 from the line. Again, if you don't follow Tim Beret on Twitter, you need to do that stat at Tim Beret. B-O-U-R-R-E-T. Thank me later. So three games around the ACC landscape tonight. We'll review those tomorrow, as we always do here on the program. A couple of plaudits to break down as well that were announced by the conference earlier today. NC State's junior guard Devin Daniels named the ACC Player of the Week. Miami guard Isaiah Wong, Freshman of the Week for the second week in a row. Daniels notes the league averaged 21.5 points, 9 boards, 2 assists, and 1.5 steals in last week's games against Duke and Florida State. Scored a career-high 25, grabbed 9 rebounds in the win over Duke. Wong averaged 19.5, picked up 7.5 boards in Miami games at Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. Wong had 27 points and 12 boards. They were both career highs in the triple overtime victory at Virginia Tech. The first Miami freshman with a double-double since Bruce Brown in December of 2016. He was 14 of 14 at the line in that game as we brought up. So congratulations to Devin Daniels and Isaiah Wong, the ACC Players of the Week. On the women's side, this is not a copied and pasted clip from last week's podcast. I promise you, this is still February 25th, 2020. But Taylor Soul of Boston College, ACC Women's Basketball Player of the Week, Elizabeth Kitley, ACC Freshman of the Week. They both took those awards last week. So congratulations to Taylor Soul of BC, Elizabeth Kitley of Virginia Tech for winning those respective honors two weeks in a row. 
We should also point out that the league notes that Sol shot 80% from the floor last week. She was 16 of 20. She's been a double-digit scorer 19 times this season. And as we wind down the program, ACC baseball honors this week. Junior right-handed pitcher Bryce Jarvis from Duke, the ACC Pitcher of the Week. FSU outfielder Elijah Cavill and Georgia Tech outfielder Baron Radcliffe, ACC Co-Players of the Week. Jarvis pitched a complete game, perfect game, against Cornell last week. Struck out 15, got 10 ground outs, two fly balls. Struck out at least one batter in eight of the nine innings he pitched. Pitched to just one three-ball count the entire game through 94 pitches. That the 31st perfect game in NCAA Division I baseball history, the most recent perfect game in the ACC, in case you're curious, Javi Salas for Miami, 2014, threw that against Villanova. Also won in the last decade, Will Roberts threw one for UVA against George Washington in 2011. Cabell for FSU, hit three homers, drove in 11 in a three-game weekend sweep, and Radcliffe hit 400 over the weekend. Georgia Tech swept Ohio State, the defending Big Ten champion. Radcliffe had four hits, two homers, seven RBIs over the weekend. So congratulations to all those gentlemen for winning plaudits. Wanted to quickly run down the ACC baseball standings at the moment. We'll also tell you what's going on today as we record this podcast. Duke leading the Coastal. They are 7-1. and one. They've won seven in a row. Pittsburgh right behind them, 6-1. and one. Georgia Tech, 6-1. and one. North Carolina, 6-2. and two. UVA, 5-3. and three. Miami, 4-3. and three. And Virginia Tech, 3-3, three and three, rounding out the Coastal. In the Atlantic, NC State, 7-0. and oh. Clemson, 7-0. and oh. Florida State, 6-1. and one. Notre Dame, 4-2. and two. Louisville, 4-3. and three. Wake, 3-4. Three and four. BC, 3-4. and four. In the ACC Atlantic. Today, as we record... North Carolina leads North Carolina A&T 1-0 bottom 5. Xavier and third-ranked Louisville tied at 2, top 5. William & Mary over Virginia 5-4, top 4. Virginia has some pitching issues. We, again, don't have the time to get into that, but Virginia has some pitching issues. Radford, Virginia Tech, scoreless top 2. Gardner-Webb at number 17, Georgia Tech. The Ramblin' Wreck leading already 6-0 bottom 1. East Tennessee State. Up 1-0 on Clemson, top two. Number 13, NC State. They lead UNC Wilmington, 3-0, top three. And Florida State, Jacksonville, banged, postponed due to inclement weather in the area. That will be rescheduled for May 12th. There your ACC baseball scores and standings. We'll look ahead to the weekend a little bit later on in the week here on the program. And as we wind down... I wanted to give you one last note to go on here. I saw on Twitter earlier today from College Sports Elite, a list of NFL draft picks from schools since 2000. They went from 65 picks up. Four ACC schools made that list. The top two, as you might imagine, Ohio State has had 131 players drafted since 2000 to the NFL. Bama, 118. Not really shocking. But then you start getting into the ACC schools. Miami is third. They've had 115 players drafted since 2000. Florida State, 108. Clemson, 77. 
and Virginia Tech 75. Four ACC schools who've had 75 or more players drafted in the NFL since 2000. We'll talk a lot more about the NFL draft coming up. There's a lot of NFL draft stuff going on across our network. If you're curious about who your team might draft, check out the Locked On NFL podcast programming that we have across the network. You'll likely hear them talk about some of your favorite players. So now that we said all that, time to go. This has been Locked On ACC, February 25th, 2020. Again, tweet the show at Locked On ACC. Email us, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, I'm Brian Wilmer. This has been Locked On ACC. Thanks for listening, everyone. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)